Good morning. As Jason said, I am Adrian Christian. I am so um, grateful for the opportunity to preach this morning. Um, yeah, and so we're going to pray to start. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your spirit is present with us today. Thank you, Lord, that the, for the word that you have prepared. I pray that you would speak through me. God, I, I pray for the people who are listening, that you would open their ears, and that you would meet them right where they are through this word. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Jason said, it, the season is changing. Outside, I notice that it's a bit chillier. We're wearing long sleeves. Um, if you have kids or around kids, they might be excited about something that's happening tomorrow where they get to dress up and ask for candy. There are some others of you who are already thinking about Thanksgiving. Where will I go or who will I have in my home? What food will I prepare? There are some of you who are even thinking about Advent and Christmas. You've gone to the stores and you see the Christmas decorations a little too soon, in my opinion. The season is changing. Jason mentioned that November 1st, All Saints Day, is something that we celebrate in the church calendar. And All Saints Day is a day that we remember and we celebrate those people who have gone before us. And I will say that both in the holiday season and this season, this day, church, uh, All Saints Day, there's a little bit of tension we are after Jesus' first coming, and yet we are before his second coming. We still experience suffering and loss. There are some of us, as we go into the holiday season, we might think, wow, yes, this is a joyful season. I'm excited to celebrate, and yet it's a little lonely for me. Or this holiday season, you know, some of the people who... I want to be with me, they're not here anymore. There's a tension there. Grief and loss and pain at the same time of joy and hope and peace. As I was preparing the sermon, I felt tension as well. Because I listened to Jesus' words, and I just became very aware of the fact that Jesus was sent by God to give eternal life to those who believed in him. Which automatically makes me, made me think of the fact that there are some who choose not to believe. There's a tension there. And as I teach this morning, I just ask that you all would be able to enter into the story fully. You might feel tension. We're going to read about life and death and about grief and pain. 
and at the same time hold to this fact that there is hope in the resurrection of Christ. Just pray that you would stay there. Before we begin today, um, I want to give you a little bit of context. We're going to go to John 11, but it's really important that we understand what has happened prior to the text that we're going to read. We're going to read a familiar text about Lazarus and Mary and Martha. John has introduced Jesus. Jesus, he is God in the flesh. Come to earth. He is light in the darkness. And there will be those who believe. And they will be able to be called children of God. But there will be those who don't, John says. Jesus, he has chosen his disciples. He has done some great miracles, like changed just plain old water to some fabulous wine. He has healed a blind man so that he could see. He has healed a lame man at the pool of Bethsaida. He has fed the 5,000 with loaves and fish. Jesus has come into the world. He has proclaimed that he is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the good shepherd. Jesus has said, I am. Imagine it. Jesus has caused some division. There are those people who don't like his teaching. They're threatened by him, the fact that he's healing on the Sabbath, breaking those rules. And they clearly don't like his claim that he is God. And so Jesus has been in Jerusalem and he has changed places. And now he's on the other side of the Jordan River. And he's with his disciples. And right before the passage that we will read this morning, his friends Mary and Martha, they send a message to him. Jesus! Our brother Lazarus, whom you love, he is ill. We need you to come. We need you to heal him like you did the blind man, like you did the leper. And Jesus, the text says, waits two days in the place where he is. He doesn't go there right away. This is where the text begins. Four days after Lazarus has died. Lazarus has gone from being very ill to very dead. If you know this story, we know that Lazarus is raised from the dead. But we are going to sit in the passage in between when Mary and Martha are grieving. Let us read. John 11, verses 17 through 37. And I am very aware that these are 20 verses. So I just want to ask you to please try to enter into the story. Try to imagine what it would have been like for Mary and for Martha and for her friends and for Jesus. 
When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in this resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. And they followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we're going to look at Martha, Mary, their spiritual family, and Jesus and observe how they handled the grief of having lost a loved one. I believe that through this passage the Holy Spirit might enlighten us about how to handle grief our own grief and the grief of others. As I studied this text over the last week, there are four things that really stood out to me. The first of which you can see right off the bat, and that is in verse 17. That is that Lazarus is dead. I think the text invites us first and foremost to acknowledge death. The text says, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. In this culture, people were buried on the same day that they had died. And there was a belief amongst Jews that the soul hovered over the body for the first three days because it wanted to go back into the body. But by the fourth day, it had left. And so there is a reality the author 
of this text explains that it's the fourth day, which means Lazarus is actually dead. Mary and Martha, they also acknowledge death. They eventually go and talk to Jesus. He has died. They accept it. Lazarus is dead. Also, we know that the people who have come to console Mary and Martha in the home, they are acknowledging that really Lazarus has gone. And Jesus himself and his disciples, they come to meet Mary and Martha because Lazarus has died. There's something else behind this text about death. Jesus, he actually acknowledges his own impending death. And so do the disciples. You see, as I stated before, Jesus had been in Jerusalem where people were trying to stone and kill him. And he had left. And there's an argument in the passage before where the disciples are like, teacher, do not go back there where they are. They're going to kill you. And Jesus goes. So when going to Bethany, just two miles away from Jerusalem, Jesus understands that he is going to the place where people want to kill him. And his disciples actually understand that too and think that they too might die. They are accepting not only the death of Lazarus, but their own death. It's interesting because the book of John, for the rest of the book of John, we see Jesus going towards his death. He is anointed. His feet are anointed by Mary. There is a plot to kill him. He announces that he will be crucified, and eventually he does die. This is a turning point in the book of John. So the question is, the thing is that Mary and Martha, they acknowledge death. And what about you? Do you acknowledge death in your own life? Do you acknowledge loss? I lived in the Dominican Republic, some of you know. I lived there for six years, but after about a year and a half, I thought that I was dying. I found out later that it probably was burnt out, burnout and stress, but I didn't know that at the time. It was awful. I went to the cardiologist. I had these awful headaches to the neurologist as well, cardiologist, I couldn't think straight. Emotionally, I was very flat. And during that time, I had to reevaluate some things like Sabbath and communal prayer. And God was so sweet to me because I had the opportunity to go to a missionary training institute. And during that institute, I had a coach. And she told me, she said, Adrian, I think that you haven't grieved your losses. And I was confused because no one had passed away. It's like, what are you talking about? Grieve my losses. What do you mean grief? Well, the thing is, is I had stepped into something so beautiful, but I had also left something really beautiful and I hadn't taken the time to grieve it. I actually wasn't even aware that I had left this place where I had friends and family, and a church that loved me, and people who knew me, and a job that knew my giftings. 
and hot water and air condition. Acknowledge death. How do you tend to acknowledge death and loss in your life? Do you accept them? The fact that you will die one day? That your family members will? How does that change how you live today? Acknowledge death. Second, I think in this text, we can see through Mary and Martha that they are able to tend to their pain honestly. If we look in verses 20 through 27, we will see Martha. The text says that Martha, when she hears that Jesus is coming, she goes and meets him. And her, her words, John describes, are as follows. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't know about you. John doesn't record anything about Martha's posture or her tone. But I tried to get into this story and I can just imagine the frustration that Martha felt. The deep pain, the possible anger. Lord, we sent you a message and you didn't come, but you love him. Why didn't you come in our time of need? Why did you let him die? Anger, frustration, maybe she was accusing him. I don't know. At the same time, though, we see that she calls him Lord. She loved him. She lived for him. She revered him. The next verse says, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. She had faith. She knew who Jesus was and she knew what he could do, even though her brother had been in the tomb for four days. This tension, right? Anger, frustration, deep pain, trust, belief, and love at the same time. We see it with Mary. Mary is also honest with her pain. She handles her pain in a different way than Martha does. In verse 19, or 20, actually, it says that Mary stayed at home. Martha goes out to meet Jesus, and Mary's at home with the people who are at the house. We don't know why Mary stayed at home, but she chose to stay at home at first. And then it is when Martha comes back and talks to her and says that the teacher is here calling for you that Mary goes out and sees Jesus. She goes out quickly and it says that when she goes out, actually there were people who followed her. When Mary came with Jesus and she saw him, it says that she knelt at his feet. And she said the same words that Martha said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In the text, it says that she knelt. It's really interesting. In other translations, it says fell. And so 
I looked it up. I wanted to see in the original language, what does it say? And it looks like it says, fell. Can you imagine? She's been at home and she runs to Jesus and she just falls at his feet. And we know from Jesus' description that she was weeping. She is distraught because her brother has died. Jesus, why didn't you come? I know what you can do. You could have saved him and you didn't. Can you all feel it? The deep sadness that she must have felt. Mary and Martha are great examples of tending to their pain. Honestly, they go to Jesus. Honestly, Jesus can handle it, and he did. Anger, tears, honesty. I think it's a great example. We see at the end of that that Jesus asks them, where have you laid him? And they say to him, come and see. They invite Jesus into that place of death. And so the question is, how are you tending to your pain? Those things that you are grieving, is it honest? Can you invite Jesus in to those places? Third, we see people, friends, their spiritual family in this text. And these people are physically and emotionally present. If we look in verse 19, it says that many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. And then, like I said, when Mary goes to see Jesus, they go too. They don't want to leave her alone. Even though they think that she's going to weep at the tomb, they don't want to leave her. They realize the state that she's in. Imagine it, four days after someone's died. The tendency is the culture at that time said that you would bury someone right when they died. When I lived in the Dominican Republic, I was around death a lot. I can't count how many people died. There were some people that were close to me, some girls that I was very close with. Their mother died. I was there with her about 10 minutes before she passed away. One of our Bible study teenagers passed away during my time. We had neighbors who were part of the church die. Um, some people who lost their babies during that time. And being an outsider, someone from a different culture, the question was, what do you do when someone passes away? What's the, the right way to console them? And I would see weeping because similarly, people died and were buried the next day. There's this uncontrollable weeping and wailing that happens out of sadness. And I learned very quickly that what you do is that you are present with people. I never had the right words, but the custom in Dominican is that you would go into someone's home and you would sit. And then you would go outside 
and you would sit. And you wouldn't laugh. You would be sad along with them. And you were just present. Whether it was someone that you directly knew or someone else who was part of the body of God, or it was the relative of someone you knew. You were just present. And I wonder, what is that like? Coming back to the United States, what is grieving well alongside with someone look like? In this culture of texting and distance and individuality, what does it look like to love people well in their grief? So I asked. I asked two people whom I'm close with who both have lost mothers. They're different as a man and a woman. They're of different ethnicities. And it's so intriguing to me because as I spoke to them, the first two words that came out of their mouth was exactly the same. I said, what is it that you need from people? What did you need? What did people do well? And they said they showed up. I, need, I needed that people show up. What exactly does that mean? That they're present. Somebody described how his friend came miles in their car just to give a hug for five minutes. They showed up. Another described, you know, those people who I thought were my good friends who didn't show up and weren't present, it made me question that they actually loved me. The second thing that both of them said was to walk alongside them well during grief. They needed spaces to be able to remember that loved one. They needed to be intentionally asked. And they needed to be listened to. And to be told stories about the person that they were missing. And it's interesting because one of them, what she said to me was, you know, I think a lot of people, they avoid it because they don't want to hurt us. We're already hurting. We're already thinking about that person all the time. And we need space to be able to talk about her or him. And we want to hear your stories, your good stories too. And it makes me wonder, how have you been physically and emotionally present with those who are grieving, we've all messed up. I can think of times that I have, and we need to lament it. But it's also an invitation to do it well next time, to show up and to provide space for others to grieve. What would that look like for you to move closer physically and emotionally when others are hurting? Acknowledge death, tend to your pain honestly, be physically and emotionally present. The fourth and final person from whom, who we see this, who responds to grief in this passage is Jesus. And I love to think about Jesus, but Jesus is a little bit, it's difficult, there's tension. Because if we are honest, Jesus had received a message when Lazarus was ill, and he didn't go to them. He didn't help. 
And we all can think of times in our lives, right, when someone is sick and we want them to get better, but they don't. Or we are unemployed and we need that job, but God doesn't give it to us right then. Or we're in a relationship that's not good and we need God to fix it and he doesn't fix it right then. And we see in this text that we need to trust Jesus. Trust his timing. Can you imagine the story if he had gone and healed Lazarus? Not quite as big as actually raising him from the dead. God was so glorified through the resurrection. Jesus, he also responded empathetically to their pain. Martha, possibly angry, frustrated, accusing to Jesus. He listened and he reminded her of truth. He listened empathetically. Mary, she didn't go to him right away. He gave her space. I find it interesting that he didn't come to the house with Martha and knock on the door. Martha, come out. I, wanted, I, I care about you. Listen, no, he wasn't like that. And when Mary went to him, he didn't um, shame her for taking too long. Jesus handled their emotions. And there's something good about that. He also reminded them of truth. Jesus told Martha, Martha, your brother will rise again. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe it? And Martha says, yeah, I believe. I think that this text offers us the opportunity to ask the same question to ourselves. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection? Do you believe that he is the life? Do you believe that one day you will die? And if you believe in Jesus Christ, that you will be risen from the dead? Do you believe that those people who've gone before you loving Jesus, that you will see them again? Do you believe in those places in your life that are so hard, that feel dead, that you can invite Jesus in to come near and that he can heal you? Do you believe? I think it's something to resonate on for the next few minutes, but then later as well, because these are deep questions. But we are invited into asking if we trust Jesus. Do we believe that he is who he says he is? Do you trust that he wants to be with you in your places of pain? Are you willing to say, Lord, come and see?